on the first Sunday of each month, I make it my purpose to cover a major Bible doctrine with the church family. And as I prayed just a moment ago, the doctrine for this morning is redemption. And I would like to begin by defining what redemption is. Redemption is God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price of Christ's shed blood. Redemption is God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price, which was Christ's life blood. I want to take us to quickly to four vocab words when it comes to this doctrine of redemption. The first word has to do with redemption's goal. The second word has to do with redemption's method. The third word has to do with redemption's permanence. And the fourth and final word has to do with redemption's extent. Let me say it again. First word we want to look at is redemption's goal. And what we're going to see from that word is it's the act of setting free or liberating. The second redemption word to do with method talks about the act of going into the marketplace to purchase. The third word associated with redemption, stressing its permanence, is the act of being purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin. Now watch it. Never to go back into that marketplace again. Those are the four words to do with redemption that I want to cover with you rather quickly this morning. The first word then of vocabulary for redemption is redemption's goal. That is the act of setting free or liberating. The Greek word is Lutroo, Lutroo in Greek talks about redemptive act of being set free or liberated by the one who redeems us. In 1 Peter 1, 17 to 19, listen, if you, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed, there's the word, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Redemption's first vocabulary word to do with its goal, to do with the act of being set free or liberated, Greek latruo, second redemption word, its method, the act of going into the slave marketplace to purchase. And the Greek word associated with this uh, redemption method is agorazo, agorazo. And so in Revelation 5, 1 to 10, we see Christ's redemptive work of going into the slave marketplace of sin where we were on the block. When sin, the law of sin and death said jump, all our options were to say how high. We were in slavery to the law of sin and death and to our flesh. 
But God in Christ came into that slave marketplace and agorazoed us. He purchased us with his blood. And Revelation 5, 1 to 10, I saw in light of the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a book written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and break its seals. Let me read that again. Who is worthy to open the book and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne and with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb, capital M uh, L, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and here's the word, and purchased for God, with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So redemption's method, Greek agorazo, is the work of God going into the slave marketplace of sin to purchase our freedom. Third redemption word to do with its Permanence is almost the same as the previous Greek word, but instead of agorazo, this word is ex agorazo. Ex agorazo is the act of being purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin, never to return to the marketplace again. Key verse there, Galatians 3 10 to 14. For as Many as are the words of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ, here it is, redeemed us, went into the slave marketplace of sin, purchased us, got us out of that slave marketplace of sin, never for us to have to return to that marketplace again. Verse 13 again, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith. We're seeing vocabulary words in the Greek language of the New Testament 
to give us the goal of redemption, which is the act of setting free or liberating. Redemption's method, that is the act of going into the slave marketplace to purchase. Redemption's permanence, that is the act of being purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin, never to return to that marketplace again. And the fourth and final vocab word for redemption in the New Testament that I'm going to at least teach you is to do with redemption's extent. Apolutrosis. Greek apolutrosis. It means the future of the person who is purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin is certain. That everyone who is purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin has the same certain destiny, and that is glorification. 1 John 3, 2, we'll be made to be like him when we see him, Christ. Every person in the sound of my voice who's trusted Jesus Christ to be savior has been purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin with the view in mind, with the certain goal in mind that we each will be glorified, transformed into the likeness of Christ. Right now, the Holy Spirit and is using circumstances and the word of God to chip off of each of us everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And it's a painful process. It's an inconvenient process. It's a process that's taking time. But one day that incremental conformity to the image of Christ will find its fulfillment for every one of us who knows the Savior by, by faith. Every one of us will one day be perfectly transformed, perfectly made to be like the Savior. What a prospect. Apolutrosis, redemption's extent. Romans 3, 21 to 24. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets is a way of saying the Old Testament. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Watch it. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption, there it is, which is in Christ Jesus. There was a time, for some of us, it was a time that was a very long time, many years, before we were saved. That is, actually isn't my testimony. I trusted Jesus for salvation at four and a half years old by the grace of God. I was no genius, but I understood that I was a sinner, that Jesus loved me, he died on the cross in my place, and he rose from the dead, and I believed it as a four and a half year old. For others that are here, though, you were many years old before you trusted Jesus to be your savior. You were an adult. Maybe even some here that are, were senior adults before they trusted Jesus to be their savior. The certainty though, whether you've been a Christian for, in my case, over 60 years, or you've been a Christian for six minutes, is that we'll both be made to be like Christ 
Because not only did he get us out of the slave marketplace of sin with the blood of Christ, he not only did that, but he got us out of that marketplace so we'll never have to return to it. But that's not all either. He got us out of that slave marketplace of sin such that we never have to return to it for the purpose, the express purpose of transforming us into the image of Christ, making us one day to be just like Jesus. What a prospect and what a hope. Romans 8 18 to 25. For I consider that that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. There it is. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the reveling, excuse me, the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, capital S, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body the extent of redemption, the culmination of God's redemptive work, that we would be transformed into the image of Christ. 24, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So four vocabulary words to do with God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price of Christ's lifeblood. Four vocabulary words to do with redemption's goal. First, the act of setting free or liberating. Second, to do with redemption's method, the act of going into the marketplace to purchase. Third, redemption's permanence, the act of being purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin, never to have to return there again. And fourth, the redemption's extent, certain future transformation, glorification to be made just like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the vocabulary in the Greek New Testament for redemption. Now let's turn to our second major heading. We have two major headings. One is the vocabulary of redemption. We've covered that. Now we come to the second of two major headings that we're going to see together, and that is the qualifications of a redeemer. There were certain qualifications. Not everybody could redeem, even if they wanted to. Not everyone was qualified to be a redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ, of course, was qualified at all four levels I'm gonna share with you. Christ was qualified to be redeemer because he was kinsman, because he possessed the purchase price, because he was willing to redeem, and because he was freed from slavery himself. Let's cover these four quickly. The qualification of the redeemer then in the first place, one of four, is that he had to be a kinsman that is a near relative of the slave on the marketplace to be purchased. And in Hebrews 2, just bear with me, Hebrews 2, 14 to 17, therefore since the children share in flesh and blood, 
he himself likewise also partook of the same. When Christ was incarnate the first Christmas, when the eternal word became flesh, he became a, a near relative of every human being, a kinsman. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to be made like his brethren in all things so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation, which is a theological $5 word for satisfactory payment. If you run a count at a local business and you owe $100, when you go into the business and pay $100, not $98, not $95, but when you go in and pay $100, if that's what you owe the business, that is a propitiation, a satisfactory payment. And this is saying that Christ's sacrifice on the cross of his blood was a suitable propitiation to holy God. Retiring our sin debts, all of them. And so... The first qualification that Christ had to be a redeemer was to be a kinsman redeemer. You remember in the Old Testament book of Ruth when she was a widow and just making ends meet and she was led by the Holy Spirit to the field of Boaz and it came to be that it was discovered that Boaz was a near relative of hers, a kinsman who could redeem her and marry her. Kinsman. The second quality of Jesus Christ as Redeemer is that he had to have possession of the right purchase price, and the right purchase price was nothing other than divine, innocent, perfect blood. Jesus Christ had to be in possession of the right purchase price. And of course, incarnate, he had blood, not only blood, but innocent blood. He was sinless. He never sinned in thought, word, or deed. Not, didn't sin by omission, didn't sin by commission. He was sinless. And because God fused to man, had sinless blood, it could be the propitiation, the satisfactory payment for our sin debts to God. And so in 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19, it says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. When we take the cup in a few moments for the Lord's Supper, the symbol, the reminder, the memorial of the precious, sinless blood of Christ, it is liquid as was his blood. It is deep in color as was Jesus' blood. It, it doesn't become Jesus' blood because I pray over anything like that. It's a reminder, a memorial, an emblem 
to remind us of the sinless blood of Christ. And so when we take the cup today, let's be mindful that it's reminding us that Jesus Christ had the second of four qualifications to be our Redeemer. Namely, he possessed the purchase price required to get us out of the slave marketplace of sin, which was innocent, perfect blood. We go on. Jesus Christ was kinsman. Jesus Christ had possession of the purchase price, sinless blood. And third, he had the willingness to redeem. Jesus Christ not only could redeem, but he was willing to redeem. You remember Boaz was given a choice at the city gate where business was transacted. He was qualified to redeem Mary the widow Ruth, but they asked him, are you willing? And he said that he was, and they took off their sandals, which was the ancient Near Eastern way of striking a contract to say, we're going to take up on your willingness to redeem Ruth, to take her as your wife. And so Jesus Christ had a wonderful willingness to redeem. Yes, he was a kinsman. Yes, he had the sinless blood, but he had to be also willing Willing to redeem you. Luke 22, 39 to 46. And he came out and proceeded as was his custom to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he arrived at that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing Remove this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, I've been there, the gnarled, mature olive trees on the east side of the ancient city of Jerusalem, on the flank of the Kidron Valley. I can only imagine if there was any moonlight that night when the Lord Jesus was in Gethsemane praying how dramatic it would have looked striking those olive trees with all their gnarled shapes and casting shadows. We don't know if there was a moon that night. I don't know. But I know that he prayed. And he wanted to go to that cross in willing obedience to his heavenly Father. He was a willing redeemer. Matthew 26. Excuse me. From willingness, finally, he himself had to be free from being a slave. A slave could not redeem another slave. And the Lord Jesus Christ was slave to no one. And it says in Hebrews 4, 4 to 14, this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Our high priest was not a slave. He was free. He was not a slave. 1 Peter 2 18 to 25, under the heading, Freedom from Slavery as a Qualification for Being a Redeemer. 1 Peter 2, 18 and following. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if you, for the sake of conscience toward God, A person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds... You were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and to the guardian of your souls. What have we seen about redemption? We've seen that redemption is God's forever purchase of a sinner out of the slave marketplace of sin by paying the purchase price of Christ's lifeblood. We've seen that redemption's goal is the act of setting free or liberating. We've seen that redemption's method is the act of going into the slave marketplace to purchase. And redemption's permanence is the act of being purchased out of that slave marketplace of sin, never to have to return to that marketplace again. You'll recall the Hosea the prophet in the Old Testament was told to marry a harlot to be a visual object lesson to the nation of Israel about their spiritual harlotry, their spiritual prostitution. And he married this harlot in obedience to God and she lived a life of waywardness and was not under his roof and he wasn't able to protect her and wasn't able to guide her. She was living wayward for a time. And in this true story, she found herself in the slave marketplace of sin up for sale, human trafficking. And God told the prophet to go into that slave marketplace of sin and to pay the price necessary to liberate Gomer from prostitution. And Hosea did that as a beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us because of his kinship to us in his humanity, because of his possession of sinless blood, 
because of his willingness to come into the slave marketplace to get us, and because he was not a slave himself. He was a master. And so I ask you, are you redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? In this country, more people know about redemption than actually are redeemed. In this country, more people know about redeeming grace than actually are under it. Are you out of the slave marketplace of sin, or do you go into this week, into tomorrow, into this new year, you're still in the slave marketplace of sin? Maybe not everybody realizes it, but you do. The good news is that Christ loves you. The good news is that he has a willingness to redeem you. The good news is that he can come right to you in the slave marketplace of sin, lay down his innocent and perfect blood as the payment for your release from that marketplace, and he can usher you out by the Holy Spirit in congruity to the word of God to live totally different than slave to sin, to be set free and liberated, to do the will of God as found in the word of God What a change. What a savior. And for those of us who have been purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin, and we know it, we know that we're not who we used to be. May we also know we're not yet who we're going to be. That Christ who came into the slave marketplace to get us out of it isn't just leaving us out of it. By his spirit, He is conforming us to the image of Christ, increment by increment, day by day, decision by decision, situation by situation. For those of us who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, known to be purchased out of the slave marketplace of sin, never to have to go back into that marketplace again, may we never put ourselves back on the slave block again. There are some things that you can't do anymore. There are some people you can't hang around with anymore. There are some ways to spend money that you can't spend it that way anymore. Don't put yourself back in the slave marketplace of sin. Jesus has redeemed you. You're his. You're bought with a price. Your body is no longer your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body. I trust that as we come to the Lord's table today, as we remember these truths about redemption, that our hearts be full to overflowing with gratitude, praise, wonder, and worship, and commitment not to put ourselves in the slave marketplace of sin again and a commitment to tell others that we know that are in the slave marketplace of sin still about the Savior, about his blood, about how we can liberate them, make them new, free them up to the knowing and the doing of God's will. I trust that will be our words and our life message this week. Would you stand with me to pray? Gracious God, our loving Heavenly Father,
We thank you that the triune God in eternity past purposed and planned the work of redemption. And thank you that because not only you purposed and planned it, but you executed it in the incarnate Christ dying on the cross and shedding blood, that we no longer have to be in that slave marketplace of sin again. I pray for some who may be bowed in your presence, Lord, that are very much in there. When Sid says jump, they just say how high. I pray this would be a morning of liberation and redemption. And Lord, for those of us who have been taken out of the slave marketplace, we thank you. We thank you that we have the ability to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. The ability to be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit the ability to have victorious Christian life, the life of Christ being expressed through our networks of influence and our spiritual gifting. Lord, we pray that the slave marketplace of sin would be depopulated this day. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.